you might like to turn in your Bible, if you would, to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 25. And if you haven't exhausted the Bible at this point, uh, I'll try to add something. If you would, in the light of our little study in Jeremiah (coughs) up to this point, and uh, in chapter 29 and all of that, and Israel, Israel, uh, Judah, Jerusalem, uh, they are told, uh, Jeremiah is told, and others, that they are not to pray for Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was destined to be destroyed with a temple. And Israel was then encouraged to go to Babylon by God in his providence, in his management. And in going to Israel uh, and going to Babylon, uh, they would have a benefit uh, in in the home of idolatry, which is Babylon, uh, they would have God's grace and, uh, and, and, and go through the punishment of 70 years uh, that they were to go through, 70 years of captivity. Now, having said that, in that, Israel, Israel at this point, remember the temple is going to be destroyed. And for all of these kings all the way down all the way down to Zechariah and that, Zephaniah, and each one of them, as they went down, Zephaniah. And in the process, uh, they are all, in the end, all evil kings in, in the southern part of Jerusalem. Now, having said that, in the light of communion, in the light of that, for you would understand, they were not to pray. Now, let me lead into that if I can. And you may pick up in Exodus chapter 25, Israel was taken to Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai they were introduced to God. And being introduced to God, God then, because they can't stay at Mount Sinai, and they had to understand God had a wonderful plan for them in the land of Palestine. Therefore they had to move forward. So God is at the top of the mountain, as it were, for their visual sighting in, in all of the fire and all of it going on up there, all of the excitement of the top up there. Now, so God is going to send them forth, and in doing so, he lets them know that he's going to go with them. He's not just going to stay in that mountain. Uh, he's going to go with them. And therefore, they are to build a tabernacle. In particular, you will notice in uh, chapter 25 and in verse 20, and the cherubs, cherubims, shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. To the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. They're looking down on that golden mercy seat. Verse 21, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, with the law and the Ten Commandments and all of that. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony, the Ten Commandments and stones, which I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, 
and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat and from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So from Mount Sinai we're going to go and, and God's going to place himself smack dab in the middle of all of those 12 tribes, three tribes on each side. And he's going to do that. And he's going to do it and, the, and he lets them know right off that he is going to be in the middle of them. And that tabernacle, the tabernacle being built, is going to have the, is going to be the place of meeting. And they're going to be able to go and understand wherever they are, looking to the tabernacle. And, the, and you won't have to wonder, could they see it? Because the cloud by day and the fire by night rolling up out of it, and going all over them, although you can think of a huge mass of people, uh, God covering them. Uh, you don't have to worry that you didn't know God was there. Uh, God reminded them very wonderfully that he was present. Now, so in the light of that, I want you to just to pick up the little, little words. Verse 22, there I will meet with thee. There God is going to meet with them. It's a tent of meeting. Now sliding over, if I can, O to verse chapter 29. Can't do a lot, just a little bit to, to get the flavor of it. Uh, chapter 29, and picking up please in verse uh, 42. Well, I'm going to even move forward. Well, 42. This shall be a continually burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak unto, unto, unto thee. So God is going to be in the middle of them and to communicate with them. Not from Mount Sinai up at the top where they all heard. He's going to communicate them, communicate to them through the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is well announced by fire fire by night, cloud by day, uh, God is there. Where is God? Right in the middle of us. That's where he is. Do we ever have to wonder? No. Get out, look, go in the middle of the night, and uh, whatever, go look out the tent door, and there's the fire, and there's the cloud, but God's there. God is there, wonderfully there. Now, so therefore, in verse 43, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And without going on, it's going to keep going, the subject. So we can't do it now, but that's... So there's no question. Here's the tabernacle right in the middle of them with no question. And it's a meeting place. So God is going to be able to be in the midst of them. Over, if you would please, to Jeremiah and uh, chapter 7 again. Jeremiah and chapter 7. And you would remember, as we did, the, they were counting what were the children of Israel doing. They were counting very much on the religious relics they had to them. Relics. They had the temple. And the temple was God's book. Where did the temple come from? It came from God. Who drew the blueprint? God did. Who enabled the men to do such work? God enabled the men to become craftsmen. Each one became a genius in what he had to do, in marvelously making it just what God wanted. And they did that. So here we are looking, 
and, and the tabernacle's there, and they're trusting that tabernacle because it's of God. There's all kinds of other idols, but they, they, they're involved in idolatry, but the temple is the temple. And therefore, verse 4, chapter 7, verse 4, trust ye not in the Lord, not in lying words. Well, what, were they, what's, what are they telling that's false? The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. And we're looking. So we're counting on that temple. We're counting on that temple. And all about the temple, the columns and everything else, they're counting on it. Count the t- tabernacle and, uh, and then the temple. Now, over, if you would please, to Matthew. And Matthew in chapter 21. And in Matthew 21, remember now, here's our Lord, born in Bethlehem of Judea, etc. And here's our Lord going and uh, dealing with the people and in educating them. And he reminds them. Here's, remember, he went Passover each time he went. And to the worship, the uh, feast days, going to the temple. And he went in and out of the temple and taught in the temple, etc. Now... Chapter 21, verse 13. And said unto them, remember now, he overthrew the tables, verse 20, 12, verse 12, and overthrew the tables, and they made it a house of merchandise. And therefore, verse 13, and said unto them, it is, a, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, and you have made it a den of thieves. Now, what is the tabernacle for? It's to help them understand God. Did they understand God at the top of Mount Sinai? Uh, no, they didn't understand God at the top of Mount Sinai. They just didn't do that. Do they understand God sitting there, if you would? Uh, God is there in the, uh, in the uh, tabernacle. Did they understand the fire and the cloud? No, they didn't. They, it was there. And the priest went and out, etc., etc. Now... So it's a house of prayer. It's God's place. And God filled it with his glory. After Moses built the tabernacle, God filled it with his glory after Solomon built the tabernacle. And, and it was God's place. And in the days of our Lord Jesus, it was their place, just like it was in the days of Jeremiah. It was their place, not God's place. And that's why God did what he did. Now, now the point, the question, here's Jerusalem and here's Judah, and they're in a state in Jeremiah's day and in our Lord's day, a state of unbelief and rejection. They are not honoring God or his word, and the destruction of the temple is soon to come by Nebuchadnezzar, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the city. And they didn't understand what? They didn't understand the tabernacle. Oh, no, they didn't. Did they understand the temple Solomon built? Oh, no, they didn't. It was an awesome thing. But they really, once the glory was gone, uh, they didn't understand. So, here's the tabernacle, and then here's the temple, and here they are. And they didn't understand. Now, God was helping them understand his wonderful person. 
the invisible, infinite God wanted them to understand. Now, so they're looking. So idols, everyone had idolatry, and they built idols and looked at the sun and the moon and the stars, and they were doing all of that, all of those things. Uh, they were visual things that they could see and look at and touch and make and talk about. But God, how do you talk about the infinite, invisible God? Oh, you don't. You don't. You very rarely hear anyone ever talking about him because we can't come to grips with him. Now, hang on. So here we are going, and they didn't understand the tabernacle. Now, the, now, just go through the tabernacle. And if you were coming in from the east, that way, I think, and you were coming towards me, here's the entrance, the curtain, and you move the curtain out of the way, and you come towards me, and you're going to come in, and on your, on your left side over here uh, is the lampstand. Is the lampstand, the seven-pronged lampstand. And what is that doing? It's giving to a lightless room light. But why is it lightless? Because the tabernacle is made of several layers of skin, different animals. It's all there, skin. And the outside looks like just like you and me. Ordinary dead skin. Isn't it? That's what you all have. We all show what? Our dead skin. We don't show living skin. If you do, you're, in, you're, you're, you're hurting. <laughs> no, you show dead skin. That's what you do. Now, now, God, what are you trying to tell them? That God, you're in the Mount Sinai, that, that's too hard. But now you're in the middle of them and you show the tent. And the tent is just an ordinary, ordinary, most ordinary of all the different layers of animal, a common animal. Wow. Did you understand why that God made it? God said, I'm going to be, meet you in the tent. That's where I'm going to meet you. Did they understand that? Oh, no. No, they really didn't. Now, when you go in the tent, coming in, here's the lampstand, and the lampstand is the light, and light in the complete darkness, it's the light. God is totally Light is fully light. God, I am the light of the world. And God, and in the new heavens and a new earth, where is the light going to come? Isn't it going to come from the stars? Isn't it going to come from the sun? No. God is the light. God himself is the light. Now, so he's the light. Do they understand the light? That God is light and they lived in darkness and death? No. So we look at the, on the right side, from your right side coming in, and there's the table of showbread. And the table of showbread is there with the 12 loaves. The Lord Jesus said, as you know, in John 6 and 35 and that, I am the bread of life. Now, what were they, God, what were you saying? Well, God said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light. Where, where is the light? It's in a tent, in a tent of flesh. So here's the light in the, in the tent. And in the light of the tent is the showbread, God's complete, wonderful provision for life and light. The life, the bread of life, God. Mm -hmm. So, God, you're providing light. You are light. And in our darkness, you're light. And in our death, 
your life. Your life. Uh-huh. I am. I am. And then we look straight ahead, and there's the altar of incense straight ahead of you. And that's the way we communicate. We communicate to God. The prayer, the altar of incense, you put the incense on, the incense is sweet-smelling and goes up. And God accepts the prayers in the tent, in the light, in God's, in the light and the life of God. He accepts the wonderful relationship that he's made possible. And you enter, enter and then they have that. And so the priest, and etc., would understand. Well, it should teach that. But the people aren't able to grab that, generally speaking, not at all. So now, here's the altar of incense, the prayer. Prayer, prayer. What did the Lord say? My house is a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. You don't understand what the tabernacle was about. You don't understand what the temple was about. That's your problem. I tried to help you understand something visually that you could see and understand and touch so that I could help you in your earthly existence. Uh, but you didn't want to understand what I was trying to tell you. So you don't understand the tabernacle, you don't understand the temple. And so there we are, and then we got that big curtain. And the big curtain, the big heavy curtain, hides the, hides the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And the priest could only go in there on the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the priest could go in and, and recognize uh, why could the priest have light and life and pray and communicate and have communion with God? Because on the other side of the curtain was God's law, his righteousness, and not only his righteousness, but his mercy. And, and without that, and only once a year. Why only once a year? Because the Lord, they have sacrifices, and Solomon had what? 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep killed after his prayer in Exodus 8. That's huge. Awesome. But you know, they only had one once a year. Why? Because the tent and the lampstand, the light, and the table of showbread, the bread of life, and the altar commune. Why could all of that be possible? Because Christ was going to die how many times? Once. Once. When he goes through that veil, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, that's when you go through the veil, just once. Now, what a lesson God's all that they didn't understand. They we have it, we're on this side of the cross, it's easy. But they didn't understand that. No. No. They didn't understand. So here's the ark, the mercy seat, and the communion. And the cost, the cost would be the day of atonement for the sin of the world. And Christ would go, and, uh, and uh, they'd go in the Day of Atonement, etc., and pay the cost. And that's why Solomon sacrificed all those animals. Uh, how do you pay the price? What kind of money? The Lord Jesus said it simply, in a different way. If you have the whole world and give me everything in it, you've given me nothing. It's all mine to start with. What can you give me that isn't mine? Your body, your body already is mine, saved or unsaved. 
isn't it? That's how you were born. God gave you life. And then you die, and God takes your life. And God starts, and God finishes. Wow. So now, here we are looking, and here's the tabernacle and the temple. The temple's going to go down. Did they understand the temple? No, 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 no. Nope, they didn't. Over, if you would, please, now. I, would need, I want you to get that part of it, in the, if I can. They just didn't understand. The tabernacle and the temple was all about the lovely person of Jesus Christ. In his magnificence, the word became what? John 1.14 became flesh, tent, skin, and dwelt among us. Wow. Now, and they didn't, and, and the Lord said, you've made my house a house of merchandise and not a house of prayer. So, and you know, without turning there in John chapter 1, well, we better turn there. John chapter 1. And John chapter 1 and verse 11, remember John is the last living apostle, and he's going to tell us, what's he going to tell us? He's going to tell us the Word became flesh, verse 14, chapter 1. God is the Word, and, and he came unto his own, verse 11, to the Jewish people, and they made his house a house of merchandise. They rejected him, they didn't believe, just like in the days of Jeremiah. And therefore they received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right, the power, the privilege to become the sons, the children of God, even to them that believe in his name. Now, God, you did that. Now, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? You tried to say something. You said it to Abraham, and Abraham believed, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. And you introduced, you took a whole bunch of people that are nobodies, and made them your special, prized, privileged nation. And uh, at Mount Sinai, and then the tabernacle, and then Israel, and you were to be the nation among all the nations. Now, so therefore, over to Romans chapter 11. And in Romans chapter 11, the commentary, God gives us 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. Uh, chapter 11, we pick up an understanding, if we can, of what, what God is doing. Uh, I'll say it, what God is doing with you. What is God doing with you? And why is God doing it with you? Romans 11 and verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled, that's the Jews, have they, that they should fall, God forbid. But rather, through their fall, God allowed them just to captivity and all of that, to where they are today. And through their, their fall, salvation shall come unto the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. And that's one word in the Greek, one Greek, to, to put them to jealousy, to, je to try, to pass, to get them to run faster than you are. To provoke the Jews, think of running a race, and to get them because they see you running, and they see you having, and they see you possessing that which they don't. And it encourages them to run past you in jealousy. Wow. Wow. 
Now, so there we are, verse 12. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, that's us, how much more their fullness. So when God is going to make Israel again, he's going to make the temple again, he's going to put all those things, going to do all over again, only this time he's going to be in the middle of the temple personally. And they're never going to make it a mess again. Never. It's his house, his place. In fact, all Jerusalem is holy ground. Holy ground. You touch, touch a pot. It's holy. Holy. God's place. Now, hang on. In the light of that, here we are. Now, God, here we are. So what about us? Where do we fit in? Well, how much... How much? Well, God, you, what did you do? You, you rose again from the grave. That's the thing you did. And you made it clear that you uh, were going to go and continue to show the only sign, which is the resurrection, which we've done over and over again, so that you know the only thing he's going to show that he rose again. And he's going, why is he doing that? Because it's called grace. God could have just cut it off, crucified him, he could have clobbered with 12 legions of angels. He could have clobbered the whole crowd and got the whole thing out of the way. But he didn't because he's gracious and he's merciful. And God went and allowed. And in the process, uh, God allowed his wonderful person to be expo exposed continually. That's why he rose again from the grave. God rose again in order that he might demonstrate now, he didn't demonstrate it to the Gentiles, to the unsaved, I should say. He only demonstrated his resurrection uh, to some, and then 500 all at once before he departed to the right hand of the Father. And he did that, and that's it. Now, no one else saw him. All they see is an empty tomb. And they hear the testimony of those that he showed himself to. And their life was changed, dynamically, obviously, <laughs> and changed. So, wow. Now, there they are. So, God, you're going to do that. That's right. Now, what are you doing that for? I'm going to provoke the Jews. I gave them the tabernacle. I gave them Mount Sinai. I gave them the tabernacle. I gave them the temple. I've given them all these years of captivity. Titus in 70 AD leveled the temple again, city, really did a job this time, and he did it. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to say it. My nation, I'm going to judge them. Not 70 years. You've judged them all these hundreds of years since his crucifixion. And Israel's not anywhere. Where's your temple, Israel? We don't have a temple. Where's anything, Israel? We don't have anything. We don't have anything. Wow. So now, Having said that little bit, God, what are you doing? We're well, going to take us, us, uh-huh, and what do you want us to do? You're going to go, and as we receive you, John 1, 12, as many as received him, as we receive you as our Savior in our heart and life, and you change our life, you change our life in a most wonderful way. Now you're going to change it, that's right. I'm going to go and make it very clear, very clear now, the tabernacle was mine, uh, but they took it over. The temple was mine, but they took it over. The body 
your body is mine. And when you receive me as your Savior, I'm taking over. It's my house, my place, for you to commune with me, to know me. Think of Isaiah 43.10 without turning there. To know, to understand his marvelous person, to be able to relate to God, to commune, to fellowship. Hang on. Now, in the process of that, you know, uh, you without turning there, if you went to 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 and 20, your body belongs to whom? For those of you who know that and want to know it, your body, he was, you're bought with a what? Bought with a price. When were you bought with a price? The moment you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were bought with a price. And you were no longer your own, even though we have to be educated uh, to, 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 we go all over the place as if we weren't bought with a price. We try to live our lives. That's assuming you're saved, assuming that. And it's rather awkward to do that. Now, having said that little bit and keeping that, and you become a new creature in Christ, true? When you become a new creature, are old things passed away? When do you think that happened? And all things became what? New. That happened the moment you received the Lord as your Savior. And as far as God's concerned, he crucified you. And he's finished with that project. Hang on. We're not going to have time. I, I knew that. I changed as I came home. I said, Jeanette said, what are you going to do? I was trying to go through the mail and bills and everything, you know, and figure out who, what's who, where. And uh, anyway, this little bit came. Now, in the light of that, in the light of that, uh, and you know that Christ in you, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. So when you receive the Lord as your Savior, you become a new creature, and you are not your own. You, you are the temple over to the, at least this place, 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. And you will note to the Corinthians, picking up, please, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going, if I can, in the light of the context, to verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? None. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In the middle of the statement, I will walk in them, in them. I will dwell in them, I will walk in them. Verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord. You're not your own, you're bought with a price. Touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. Now, God, if I get into that, understand that, then what's going to happen? Verse 18. And will be a father unto you. That's why the Spirit of God says, Father, 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 Abba, Father, over and over to till we, we don't want to ever forget it. And be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons 
And daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So God, you're going to do a wonderful thing. And in the process, we're not, you're, we're yours. So the temple, we, we don't, we, we, the problem, we, we can't claim this. We try to claim it, but it isn't. God, the body belongs to you. Not only that, you did when we come to know you as our Savior, you place us in the body of Christ, the church, made up, singular, of all of the believers that make up the whole body that satisfies the head. A body needs a head, and the head needs a body. And Christ is the head, and the church is his body. To what? Evidence. What is a body for? To evidence your head, isn't it? How do you take your head to work without your body? How do you do that? You can't do that. You have to have a body to evidence the head. And God, what are you doing? I'm showing my wonderful resurrected life in a bunch of whosoever's that were willing to believe. And I'm putting my life smack dab in the middle. I'm going to buy them. I purchase them with my precious blood, and I'm going to be in them. I'm going to be in them and in them. Now, God, we know the tabernacle. We know the temple. Now, what do you do? Well, do you know the tabernacle and the temple had a wonderful message? If they just would receive it, they would have understood who I am and what I am like and what I would do for them. I would be to them light and life that have a wonderful relationship to me. But they just didn't catch on. Didn't catch on. Nope. Nope. So it's personal. Well, we like idols out here. We like philosophy out here because we can come and leave it, take it, take it and leave it, take it and leave it. We like that. But with God, I can't do that. No. You can't take and leave God. You can't do that. You're stuck with God. You can't get out of his presence. And you're going to answer to him, saved and unsaved. Now, so here, or if you would, over to 1 John. And in 1 John, if you keep in mind, God is the light and God is the life. And when you receive the Lord as your Savior, you received the lampstand. He's the light. You receive the table of showbread. He's the bread of life. And you receive the way, the altar of incense, that if we put the incense on that God required, God would, the incense would rise, a sweet-smelling savor, and God would receive it from you. How are you going to get anything from us? In the name of Jesus Christ, I can get it from you. And the altar of incense is Christ in you. He is your mediator. He is your why you pray and how you pray. We pray in Jesus' name. We did all of these things. And you know that. Wow. That's an awesome thing. That's right. Now, how many believers are enjoying light? That means understanding what it says. They read. Are they understanding? Or are they just reading and coming and going? And ten years later, they're reading and coming and going, how much more are you really developed and grown if we haven't 
grown. So God, you're the light, and believers understand, need to understand, but Israel didn't. And the human flesh, no flesh, your glory in my presence. So that doesn't go, no, God, we don't have much hope there. So God, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to help you. And therefore, so it's a wonderful, simple thing, because it gets, it can't get so complicated. How are you going to live the Christian life? Denying yourself and taking up your cross daily and being crucified. How am I going to do that? (laughs) No one can do that. That's right. Professors and teachers and preachers, they don't do it. And the people don't need to do it. No one needs to do it. It's impossible. And we don't even believe like that anyway. Because we don't really believe. And we don't understand what God has made possible. Now, so therefore, here we are, Christ in us, the light, the life, the way we come to God by way of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 John chapter 3, chapter 1, I should say, as you know, and in chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship, our communion, communion, our fellowship, our communion, our communion. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, God, what was the tabernacle for? And the tabernacle. The priest could go in and relate totally in light, life, prayer. And here's the curtain. Behind the curtain is the message of the crucified Christ. And they could enjoy a wonderful being saved, being certain they're saved, without any question. Now, the people couldn't, but they should have gone out, the priest and that, and and made a wonderful, wonderful testimony to the people. But boy, that's hard to find in the Bible, isn't it? Where priests were saying that. It's very hard to find that. Where priests were communicating. Oh, they told a lot about God and everything, but they didn't tell you enough. Oh, we preach and we read the Bible, and we go through the Bible, but not enough for understanding. And when you're all done, you still don't understand. That's what we want to try to avoid. We don't want to be in that state. God has to help us. Therefore, therefore, if we can, in, in, well, boy, verse 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, one with another. Remember the light, Christ, the light of the world in you. Christ is light, is life. So God, I want to be. I want to be able to see. I want to understand. I don't want to be in the dark and dead. I read the words and they're dead. I look in, around me and it's dark. I want to have light and life now, and therefore, we walk in the. We have fellowship one with another. That's what verse 3, a wonderful fellowship with God. Verse 4, that your joy may be full. Verse, verse 7, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ his Son, is cleansing us from all sin. And that's how we walk. How? We're saved by grace. No flesh shall glory in his presence. What are you doing? What are you demonstrating? That Jesus Christ is full of grace. What is this age? It's the age of grace. All of God. How much of us? Nothing. It's all of God. 
That's what the Spirit of God counts on. How do you think Jesus, looking at his disciples in the upper room, which we're doing, looking at them, and they're all going to go out and forsake him? Now, what kind of excitement can you have, Lord, knowing they're all going to abandon you? Because he wasn't counting on them. He was counting on God, the Holy Spirit, to make possible in a human heart what is impossible. And only God can do that in us. And how do we live? We live in the blood of Christ being cleansed from all sin. And, and in the process, so it isn't, we aren't thinking about a lousy old nature. I keep telling you, don't keep trying to fool with it. You mess yourself up all the time. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us. So here we are walking in the light, and God is continually cleansing us. What do you mean cleansing us? Verse, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we would deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we say we have no sin, then we don't need to be clean, right? I don't need to be cleansed. No, I didn't do anything wrong today. <laughs> ah, that's the thing, isn't it? I didn't do anything wrong. Look at all the people that did wrong. Uh-huh. No, God said, you better understand. You've got one lousy old nature. And if I am not there to save you, you're lost. Period. Now, and therefore... Therefore, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's your little word cleanse again, to clean, to make pure, a spotless, uh, to forgive us our sin. God, why are you going to forgive us? Because I died on the cross. And my blood, I shed my blood. You may not recognize it, but when you take of my, you're remembering my blood my body and my blood in communion. You may not realize it, but I do, said God, that that's why you're forgiven. That's why you are saved, because you understand what you just did. You've been reminded. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed you, and that's why I forgive you. You see, our time is gone. I'll give you one other place. Over to Ephesians. Oh, no, yeah. Oh, what, no, I've got to read verse 10 for those who, who wonder. If we, say, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So before, back to the little thing, oh, I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm not so. You better, better shut your mouth if that's all right to say it that way. And be quiet. And get educated. And you'll get along with God a lot better. Wow. Wow. Now, so, closing. Ephesians. Thank you for your patience. I haven't gone that long, no. And I heard a couple of times they even cut this shorter. So, even though I'm violating it, I want you to don't run after me. Ephesians chapter 5. We just read, and the blood of Jesus Christ is what, dear friend? Cleansing you. If you confess your sin, he does what? He cleanses us from all sin, everything. And now, God, why are you doing that? Because, Ephesians chapter 5, 
What are you going to do with us? Verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse, there's your little word, cleanse it by the washing of water by the word. That, what God do you want to keep us clean? Yes. How am I going to keep clean? Walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you. Stay clean. Why? Because I'm going to come and take you and I want you to be clean. Verse 27. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Wow. Now, God, you're going to do that. I am? I am. I want you to stay clean, because I'm going to take you up in a moment, and you are going to be one clean person, pure. No spot, no sin, not one drop of sin. What do you mean, not one drop of sin? Because I cleansed it by by my blood. We didn't catch on that you did it. We keep thinking we've got to keep dealing with it and figuring it out. We just didn't understand we were freed to be able to enjoy your marvelous person and not try to look at ourself and look at ourself and say, well, I'm not bad and I compare me. Let's compare each other. You know, (laughs) the game goes, (laughs) the game goes on and on, never quits. Wow. And we're caught up. Do we enjoy being forgiven? No. We'll pray. Our Father and God, we look to you to deal with our heads and our hearts. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy and kindness. God, we thank you for Israel. We thank you for the tabernacle. We thank you for the temple. We thank you, Lord, for your wonderful coming in the flesh and your wonderful making it possible to live in our flesh, our tent. And our God, we thank you. So deal with us in this little bit and help us understand a little bit more And our God, we're going to thank you very, very, very much. In Christ's name, amen.